This is the second episode of the Chronological Bible Study with Send the Church podcast. In the previous episode, we touched on Creation Week and the structure of the Old Testament. In this episode, we will touch on some more details of the creation of man and woman and the Garden of Eden. On the sixth day, God created man. And he puts man in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, that the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now, God on the seventh day, after he had created man on the sixth day, God rested. And the Bible says that God had separated the day of rest, and he blessed it because that in it, this is Genesis chapter two, verse three, God had rested from all his work, which he had created and made. This is a beautiful principle that we see of what the Jews call the Sabbath in the Old Testament. Even to this day, many, many Jews keep the Sabbath to honor that which God had declared even in the commandments of the Old Testament. Now, in the New Covenant, through Christ Jesus, we don't merely have, like the Jews did or do, a day of Sabbath. In the New Covenant, we have the Lord of the Sabbath, which is Jesus Christ. He is our true rest that we are able to have at all times. So we see here that God is wanting us to relive out benefits and blessings of the Garden of Eden in our lives today in and through Jesus Christ. Now, although man was created in the image of God, later on we see that woman is created from man whom man was created in the image of God. And God gave them an assignment in the Garden of Eden. Of course, there's wonderful details as to the creation of woman from man, having been created the woman from the rib or the side of Adam, which means man in the Hebrew, It's a beautiful story as to how God creates humanity in such a way to glorify his image. We see that in the the book of 1 Corinthians, that Adam was the first man. And Jesus is called in 1 Corinthians, the second Adam the second man. And the first woman was Eve. And the second woman is the church. If Eve belonged to Adam, the church belongs to Christ. And just how God had put Adam and Eve in the garden to dress it, And to keep it, God came in Jesus Christ 
to partner with his church to dress and to keep the kingdom of God. Now, those words dress and keep in the Hebrew in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The word dress in the Hebrew means to work. And the word keep means to guard. God put Adam and Eve to work and to guard in the garden. Adam and Eve did not own the garden and were not called to control the garden. God had put Adam and Eve to work in the garden and to guard the garden. This is an important principle because in the kingdom of God, God chooses his church to partner with him to work and to guard the kingdom. We do not own the kingdom of God. We're called to work in the kingdom of God. And we do not control the kingdom of God. We are called to guard the kingdom of God. Now, what are the tasks that we are called to work in? What are the things that we are supposed to guard? God has set parameters for not just the garden, but for his kingdom. And we must uphold, like what the Bible says in the New Testament, the fact that the church is the pillar and ground of truth. The church is called to work towards sharing the gospel and to guard the holiness of the kingdom of God. We do not set the message or set the doctrines on which the Bible has laid out for us. We just communicate what God already ordained for us to believe and to live by. The kingdom is God's kingdom that we get to be a part of. Eve did not have any say as to what God wanted to be done in the garden. Adam was chosen to work it and Eve was given to Adam to help him work it, but not control him or God in working it. If we are the Eve to Christ that Eve was to Adam. We are to partner with the Lord Jesus Christ by way of his spirit to work in the kingdom and guard the kingdom from the influences of the flesh and the kingdom of darkness. Now, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, Verse 5. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground, but there went up a mist 
from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. This verse comes after mentioning the fact that God had created the earth days one through five. And then in Genesis two and seven, it goes into more details as to what the creation of man looked like. It says, The Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So Genesis chapter 1 is an overview of creation, and Genesis chapter 2 gives us some more details as to what occurred in the creation of man on the sixth day. So, that verse 5 shows us that there was not a man to till the ground, and God had not caused it to rain upon the earth yet, before the creation of man. Now, looking into the future, we see that God did eventually have it rain upon the earth in the days of Noah. But God had supernaturally designed the earth to be watered by mist, not by rain. Verse 6 of Genesis 2 says, There went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. There's so many small details in here, but it's beautiful principle and revelation and insight to the fact that God withheld the rain because there was no man to work the ground. What is the importance of that verse? In the kingdom of God in today's day, God will withhold harvest if no one will labor in his field. Jesus looked at his disciples after they had looked on the multitudes, and he tells them, Jesus saying, The fields are ripe and ready for harvest, but the laborers are few. God is waiting for his church to step up to the plate as laborers, workers in his kingdom. We like to sometimes make statements like God is, God is sending harvest or sending revival. God is going to do. No, God is already ready. He's waiting on us to take action and participate with his process, his harvest cycle. And what he's already ordained for us to labor in. If we will work, God will send the rain. God is waiting on us. James puts it this way. That the husbandman, which is a reference to a farmer, is waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. And the precious fruit of the earth comes forth as a, pro- as a product of the farmer having worked in that field. 
You and I have to work the field if we want God to bless us with a harvest. And so we see this from the moments of creation. God had ordained this principle that he would withhold the rain because there was no man to work the ground. And in this garden of Eden, God put man. And the Bible says that in that garden, there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, some study on the tree of life in the book of Proverbs and Genesis hints to us that the tree of life was this source of of eternal life. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a tree that God had demarcated for man to not eat from it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Satan, through the serpent, deceives Eve and causes Adam to transgress to believe that if they ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would be like God. When they were already in the image of God. Now, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? In short, we have the ability and the right to choose. This is the main difference between humans and angels. Man and woman, humans, have the right and the ability to choose. Angels have the ability but not the right to choose. How do we know that? If you look at creation, not just from Genesis's account, but the account of Isaiah and Ezekiel, we will discover that God at some point created angelic beings. And those angelic beings were present in creation week. And these angelic beings glorified God as they saw God create all of creation. It must have been an amazing, awesome sight to see. The angels seeing the beautiful innovations and wisdom of God that was present in creation and the way he has designed things. It's given entire years and generations for humans to embark on scientific discoveries for. Creation is beautiful and it declares that there is a creator. But one minister puts it this way, creation is declares that there is a creator, 
but it does not reveal who the creator is. It's through the Bible that we see who the creator is. And the creator created man a little lower or a little less in terms of capacity, a little lower than the angels, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews and Psalms. So God created the angels, although he made them a little bit higher than humans, he did not give angels the right to make choices. They were created as beings to obey what God said in order to execute the tasks of the supernatural realm that were necessary. Humans were created in God's image also to carry out the tasks of God, but both in the natural and supernatural realm. We have the right to choose because God wants a relationship with us based on choice, not control. God controls the angels. They don't have a right to choose. They do have the ability, although, because we see Lucifer, whom the Bible talks about in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, that he chose, in essence, to rebel against God's order. And though he had the ability to choose and not the right, he violated the design that God made him in. And therefore, has iniquity in his heart, wanting to do his own thing. That word iniquity that you will read about through Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, that when Lucifer wanted essentially glory unto himself and not reflected unto God, Lucifer has and bears iniquity in his heart, which that Hebrew word for iniquity means lawlessness. Lucifer wanted to be a law unto himself. But being a law unto himself meant he wanted to not just have the ability to choose his own choices, but he wanted to exercise a right for his own choices, which God did not design him for that purpose. But he violated his design. So, when he violates his design, iniquity is birthed in his heart. And because iniquity makes us unholy, Lucifer causes there to be a rebellion per the book of Revelation takes a third of the angels with him and is cast out out of heaven because the scriptures say that God would not dwell with wickedness. So, Lucifer 
having been an angel, an anointed cherub, he saw the throne and glory of God. He was there at creation. He knew who God was and what God was before creation of the universe had even started. He was an angel with all the other angels in heaven. But because he knew all of that, he doesn't get a second chance. He knew better and violated the design and purpose of God. So the angels do not get an opportunity to repent when they violate God's design and purpose. Because they don't have the right to choose. God does not have a relationship with angelic beings based on love. God has a relationship with angelic beings based off of glorifying Him and performing the tasks that He wants for the advancement of His will and kingdom. It's a work-based relationship. On the contrary with humans, God has a love-based relationship that He wants. And that is why humans have the right to choose. Because humans cannot truly love unless they're choosing to love. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is broken down in terms of a biblical perspective in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And none of the efforts of true, godly love are based on control or manipulation. It's all based off of willingness and choice. And so God has created this contrast between how he's created humans and how he's created angels. Now, going back to what we're reading about in Genesis 2, God created man in his image. When you look at man, a human, you are looking into what God is like. We are a depiction of what God is like. Now, after man sins, which we'll get into some details of that story man's design becomes polluted because sin enters into man because satan knows the effects of sin because he sinned when he wanted to be like god and iniquity got in his heart Satan knew that if he could get man to do what Satan did in heaven, Satan was trying to get man kicked out of the garden 
just like Satan was kicked out of heaven. Of course, God has a plan. Because Satan getting kicked out of heaven and not having an opportunity to repent, he thought, Satan thought that he could get man and woman kicked out of the garden and them not have an opportunity to repent. Thank God that God kicks out Adam and Eve and still gives them an opportunity to repent. And let's look at some of those details of Genesis 2 by which we can see God's mercy in God's judgment. The Bible says that God had told man to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. That's Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. The Lord God has said, It is not good for man should be alone, that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And God creates the woman. He puts a deep sleep upon Adam and takes one of his ribs. And this is the first surgery in history. God creates woman from man and brings her unto the man. And the Bible says that uh, Adam says when he sees a woman, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Which is such a beautiful prophetic declaration that even though Adam did not have a natural father and mother, Adam had a revelation, a prophetic one, of how the order of creation would be, even as a result of his own blessing. And verse 25 says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. In Genesis 3, we see that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And the serpent says unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of the tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, if we compare what Eve said with what God said, God did not say anything about touching it. God only said something to Adam about eating it. It's important that we do not add or take away from the word of God because that is an entry point for the adversary to see that we may not know what we are talking about when it comes to God's word. The serpent says to the woman in verse 4, Genesis 3, You shall not surely die, for God doth, God doth know that in the day you eat thereof. Then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now that Hebrew word for knowing is to become intimately acquainted with. 
It was not the will of God for man and woman to be intimately acquainted with evil. Which is why God had demarcated it. But one could ask the question, why did God even have that tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the first place? Because God is not a dictator. He doesn't want a relationship with us based on forcing us to obey him. He wants a relationship with us based on choice. You just think about any human relationship as an analogy. Human relationships that are based on being forced to obey are very unhealthy. But relationships in a human context that are based off of choice have a much better opportunity to to thrive and be healthy and to have true working love in it when it's based off of choice. That's what God wants with us. A relationship based off of choice. So he presents an opportunity for man and woman to choose contrary to God's desire. That's how we can see God created man and woman with not just the ability, but the right to choose. You can do something. You can choose to obey God, but you don't have to obey God. This is one of the most mind-boggling things for carnal unbelievers. They think that because God is God, that God should force humans to do things. God does not force humans to do things. He invites humans to do things. Now, God in His grace and mercy will sometimes set up circumstances to facilitate us choosing what he wants us to do for our own good, but he will never force us to do what he wants us to do because that would violate us being created in his image and that's with the ability and the right to choose. Humans have the ability and the right to do what God wants us to do or to not do what God wants us to do. Now, this is the supernatural consequence of having the ability and right to choose and being created in God's image. The consequence of that is that we must bear the consequences of our choices. We cannot escape the consequences of our own choices because we're created in the image of God. God reaps the benefits of all that he does. And since we're created in God's image, we reap the benefits or the negative consequences of our choices. We get to do that. 
If you sow unto the Spirit, you're going to reap eternal life, the Bible says. If we sow unto the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. We're going to reap chaos and issues in life that God did not plan for us. So, man needed to be given an opportunity to exercise his right. And the serpent tricks Eve and Eve gives Adam of the tree and he did eat, the Bible says in verse 6 of Genesis 3. Now, it's interesting how sin works because when we make a mistake that does not please God and we start seeing the consequences of those mistakes, in our flesh, we do not want to acknowledge our own responsibilities. Because what we see here is that after Eve was deceived, the Bible says in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy, that Eve was deceived and Adam transgressed. And so, in essence, Eve was tricked But Adam knew better. And we see here that God, when he comes to demonstrate that there's consequences to our choices, Adam and Eve start playing the blame game. Eve says, the serpent deceived me. Adam says, the woman you gave me, God, is the one who made me eat. And so God starts laying out the consequences of violating our design and purpose. There's always consequences to violating the design and purpose that God has set for our lives. If life can be summarized in a few words, it's this. Life is a result of fulfilling God's purpose and design for us or not fulfilling God's purpose and design for us. Everything in life is going to follow whether or not we fulfill God's purpose and design for our lives. That's our identity. That's our calling that's our ministry our lifestyle all of those things hinge on this question are we fulfilling god's design for our lives and are we fulfilling god's purpose for our lives because god's created each and every one of us in a specific way to fulfill our place and role in his kingdom which is his garden of Eden. And when we don't do that, when we don't dress and keep that which God has given, if we don't work and guard in the place that God has called for our lives, then we're going to have to reap the consequences of violating that. And so many people try to go their whole lives 
rejecting the design and purpose that God has for their lives. I mean, we're seeing so much of that nowadays when it comes to gender. People violating the design and purpose that God has placed for their lives. But honestly, that's not the only place and we see the violations of the design and purpose of God for our lives. We see it even in the church world. People trying to reject the calling that God has placed for their lives because of stubbornness or religiosity that has boxed in the definition of pleasing God. We can play good church and still violate God's design and purpose for our lives. We can make people happy in religious contexts and still displease God from the in the extent of commitment that he's called us to. We can't stand before God at the judgment day and start trying to play the same blame game that Adam and Eve played and say, well, so-and-so told me to do this. So-and-so told me to do it that way. But what was the word of God in the beginning? Don't eat of the knowledge of the of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It will cause you to be acquainted with evil. We've already been given a predestined purpose. We just have to go out and live it. Just because God predestinated our purpose in Him doesn't mean we're going to automatically live it out because we have a choice to do so or not to do so. We must choose for ourselves whether we want God's ways or our ways. And Satan tried setting up man to get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And when God does enact judgment upon the serpent, the woman, and the man, and the ground that man and woman had been working on, God kicks him out of the garden and sets a cherub to guard that which man was meant to guard. What an amazing privilege and opportunity that God would purpose for man to be in a place that even angelic beings can serve in, but God was wanting man to serve in that place. But man gave up his privilege of serving in that role to guard the garden but gave it up because he violated his purpose and design, just like Lucifer did when, and then became Satan, and then uses the serpent as a vessel to get to Eve, and then gets to Adam, and they sin. Now, earlier I mentioned how God shows mercy through judgment. And we see that because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was not the only tree that was in there. We also talked about the tree of life, which granted eternal life. If man 
had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then would eat of the tree of life, man would forever be in a perpetual state of decay and death and acquaintance with evil. God wanted man to have an opportunity to turn from the sin he had chosen to perform. But to give man the opportunity, God had to draw a line in the garden and say that Adam and Eve could no longer get back in. So many times we get upset that God has to draw lines that we cannot cross. God, We almost feel like God is boxing us into a certain place. We feel like God is mad at us or God is angry and, and punishing us. And there is punishment when it comes to sin. But sometimes the consequences of our own choices are actually also God's preservation from us wrecking our lives even further. Us bearing the brunt and the pain and the agony of our sins helps us to be positioned to find restoration again. Because God did not want Adam and Eve to find eternity through the tree through the blessings, through the stuff. God wanted Adam and Eve to find eternity through relationship with Him. We can't let the source of life's riches and life's blessings to be in the stuff that God blesses us with, but in the source who is the Lord Jesus Christ. God was being merciful in the time of judgment because God wanted to preserve man being able to participate with him in the story of redemption for all of humanity. You see here, when we feel like God is setting a limitation, we have to recalibrate our perspective and say, how is God setting me up? in order to not just save me, but help others be saved. Even in our mistakes, God allows us to face consequences of those mistakes, to save us and to help others be saved when we realign ourselves with Him. So the plan that Satan had to get Adam and Eve rejected by God actually facilitated Adam and Eve being redeemed by God. Because even though Adam and Eve chose to exercise their right and violate God's design and purpose, Satan was actually facilitating Adam and Eve having a second chance for Adam and Eve to be restored and redeemed by the Lord. Let us not ever forget 
Satan is just a pawn in the hands of God. Satan is just on a really long leash, one minister said one time. It's not this big old dangerous Satan against God. Really, it's either the flesh or the spirit that we choose between. Satan only gets an advantage in our lives by way of our flesh being alive and tempted to sin. We don't choose between Satan and God. In the New Testament, we see that we choose between the flesh or God. And so, if we cut off the temptations of the flesh and the impulses of the flesh, then we could truly embrace everything that God has for us and Satan won't have an advantage in our lives. We need to remember that Satan will try to twist God's word in order to cause us to fall. If we are privy to really knowing what God said and understanding it, then we won't fall prey to when the adversary tries to twist it. In the life of Jesus Christ, we actually see this, that he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And in the temptations of Jesus, in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, Satan actually uses the word of God against Jesus to try to tempt him to sin just like he did with Adam and Eve. See, Satan doesn't just try to use alcohol, drugs, uh, fornication, entertainment to try to tempt us to sin. Satan will even try to use the word of God to tempt us to sin. And Jesus responds by using the word of God in all of the temptations. But Satan had tried to use Psalm chapter 91 to twist it and tempt Jesus to sin. And the parts that Satan leaves out in Psalm 91, when he's trying to twist it in his conversation with Jesus, the parts that Satan leaves out are the parts that talk about the destruction and victory over the serpent, the dragon, and the lion, which were all creatures that are attached to the work of Satan throughout the Bible. Anytime the devil's trying to tempt us using the word of God, trying to pervert our understanding, trying to pollute our faith, Anytime Satan does that, he's always leaving something out. We can't let Satan leave out the parts that actually set us up to defeat him. We've got to let God write the rest of the story. We've got to know the word of God for ourselves so that Satan won't deceive us. And we've got to not just know better, but actually do better 
and exercise our right to choose and glorify God so that we can reap the benefits of our relationship with Him based on love and choice, not control and manipulation. Tune in in our next episode to hear a little bit more as to the Genesis account that we see of Adam and Eve and their family with Cain, Abel, and Seth. Be blessed in Jesus' name.